Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Library of Erotica. On this podcast, I am inviting you into my personal library to experience my favorite erotica. All of the volumes that I will read from are on my shelves. Each week, I shall treat you to a piece of erotica, either my own or from one of my favorite authors. Some weeks, I will be joined by these amazing authors themselves, and you will have the chance to hear them read their own work. This podcast is being supported by my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Lori Beth Bisbee. For people who subscribe, you will have access to special interviews with authors and readings and also to special events. So grab yourself your drink of choice, get comfortable, and enjoy a peek into my erotic world. Hey everyone, welcome to the inaugural episode of Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. Um, and this week, the, the first thing I'm going to read you is something out of my um, recent book, Dancing the Edge to Surrender, an erotic memoir of, survi- of trauma and survival. Um, so this book ha- has um, a combination of my erotica and my real-life uh, romantic and sexual story um, and some commentary uh, about the themes that you can find there. Um, it is pretty intense. A lot of uh, the erotica that I write has um, BDSM fetish um, and fetish and um, themes of power exchange um, because these are the things that I really like. So um, you'll hear uh, quite a bit of that in this podcast. Um, and so you'll also hear other examples of other people who write about stuff like this too, as well as, um, well, a whole range of erotica. Um, I've been collecting erotica for many, many years, so I've got lots and lots of stuff, including some um, really old stuff that'll be a lot of fun to expose you to over the weeks to come. Um, and I'm really looking forward. I've already got three lo- three authors lined up to come and read their own work, so stay tuned. It's, we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, so I want to start this week um, with a story I call Persuasion 2.0 with a nod to Richard Thompson's song, Persuasion. The small hairs on the back of my neck rise, and I feel the muscles along my spine stiffen. Almost imperceptibly, I straighten my spine, attempt to square my shoulders, and lift my shin. At the same time, I can feel a defiant expression appearing on my face and that all-too-self-righteous anger arising. I bite my lip before the words, not fully formed, but born on a wave of jealousy and ire, leave my lips. I'm not angry anyway, just frightened and anxious as I always am when first confronted with your presence. No matter what weapons I arm myself with, no matter how good my camouflage, in your presence I am stripped bare by one look. My defenses seem to me useless faced with your persistence. I am glad this is so. It would be a shame to go through life able to control almost all my encounters, to be able to manipulate all my lovers without ever being held to account for my behavior thoughts, feelings, or most of all my desires. I shiver. You are closer now. I can feel you. I can feel your presence clearly as you enter a room and more intensely as you advance. Having been self-possessed and confident up to that point, I am now incredibly self-conscious. I've gone silent at the wrong time in this conversation, and my companion looks at me, 
Are you all right? he asks, frowning. Fine, I reply in a tone that comes across as dismissive. The noise in the room seems louder suddenly, and the tinnitus I live with since Damien repeatedly hit me in the head has become intrusive, as it usually does, when my anxiety or arousal rises. I wish I had put in my hearing aids, but as usual, when I know I will be in an overly loud environment, I did not. I work hard to read my companion's lips. Unfortunately, he doesn't really enunciate well, and I don't have my glasses on. Internally, I sigh at my lack of preparedness in relation to my disabilities. I take in a sharp breath and forget to let it out, as I usually do when I am on edge. My breathing pattern deteriorates. I smoked for 26 years, in part to regulate that breathing pattern, particularly when stressed. I miss smoking at this moment intensely. The feel of the smoke flowing into my lungs and that deep inhale and holding of the smoke for a moment, then the nicotine flooding my body and the release as I exhale. You've truly disappeared, my companion remarks with a wry smile on his face. I shake my head and smile. No, just drifted for a moment. You were talking about some dates in November for that conference. I re-enter the conversation with enthusiasm, giving no ground as I discuss the pros and cons of a November conference in that location and the possibilities for programs and tie-ins with other events. I can provide the content if you can provide the venue and enough attendees to make it worth our while to travel that far. I'm saying as your hand lands on the back of my neck. I startle at your touch and you chuckle. As you begin to knead my neck, my body softens and I relax into your touch. Well, I relax as much as I can. I'm trembling. My nipples have become like diamonds under my sheer blouse and my vagina hot and viscous. I'm sure you can smell my arousal and know that if you can, so can others. Your hand moves lower, tracing my spine until you reach the cleft at the top of my buttocks. I'm in danger of sighing with pleasure as you stroke me and know that if I bite my lip, my companion will notice. I'm sure that you're enjoying this, knowing my arousal, knowing my anxiety, knowing my body so well that you can trace every effect in minute detail. I need a drink, my companion says. What are you two drinking, he goes on. The lady will have a Macallan and water in a tall glass, lots of water. I will have a Diet Coke, you reply, and off he goes to get our drinks. We are suddenly alone amidst this chaotic lounge, three or four languages being spoken in all tones are all around us. My back is still to you, and you hold me in that position, pressing into me, pulling me to you tightly, one arm encircling my throat, and a finger running around my collar. I cannot breathe, and I am afraid that my knees will not hold me up much longer. I lean into you and can feel your arousal, pressing into my ass. My eyes close as I push back into you. Evening, Estri, you whisper in my ear, the tenor of your voice causing my body to vibrate. My body becomes your instrument, reacting to your touch, your breath, and your intention. I move to turn around and greet you face to face. This lack of eye contact is disconcerting. You hold me in place, strumming me slowly, warming me up as you would a bass before a gig. A moan escapes my lips, and I color quickly, Ceri's cheeks highlighting the color of my hair. My awareness has become focused on your presence and your touch. Jack's voice cuts into my space, and this time I startle. So when do you think we can confirm this program, Jack asks. I can feel your amusement at my hesitancy. 
I have not yet gained my balance and color even more deeply as the moment stretches out. You haven't yet told me what areas you are most interested in, I reply. Jack grins. Exploring romantic and sexual relationships that involve power exchange, he replies. Fine, I reply in a somewhat strident tone, and you chuckle again as you tighten your grip on me. Won't you excuse us, you ask Jack politely. She will call you early in the week. You don't really wait for his reply, but smile and guide me through the crowd, hand on my back ever so lightly, until we reach the entrance to the reception. Are there any other goodbyes you must say before we go, you murmur in my ear. I shake my head. Good, drink up and we'll go. Out we head into the damp night. The smell of fresh rain is strong and I wrinkle my nose. I've always referred to this as warm smell, and I've disliked it since I was a child. At home, after the rain, many earthworms littered the ground. I always found the sight of them and the smell repulsive. With some alcohol on my stomach and anxiety singing through my veins, the nausea is stronger, and I fight for control. I am no longer Cerise, but rather an interesting shade of chartreuse. I usually manage nausea with deep breaths, but since it is the smell that has caused me to become queasy in the first place, I grit my teeth and keep walking. I focus on the feel of your body close to mind, your hand on my neck, my back, the sound of your breathing, and your footfalls as we walk to my car. We get in, and I am still silent, waiting for you to tell me where we are going. It amuses you. It always delights you when I am speechless. It is such a rare occurrence. You direct me to an old Victorian townhouse in a town not too far from your home. The CD player remains on randomize as we drive, and the song choice seems ironic as always. At various points during the drive, you reach over and touch me, pinching a nipple, running your finger over my lips, pulling on my hair, stroking my thigh. I am trembling and struggling to keep as much of my attention as possible on the road. The smell of my heat rids me of the last vestiges of queasiness. Squat, the goddess of parking, smiles on us, and I find a spot very close to the house. I am curious, but I keep my own counsel and await your command. You guide me to the door and ring the bell. An immaculately presented man of indeterminate age answers the door. He greets you by rank, and I raise an eyebrow. A brief glance from you keeps me silent as he ushers us into the elegant hallway. Will you be dining first, General? the man asks, and you reply, Yes, James, thank you. Good, sir, this way, he answers and leads us up a staircase two floors to a private dining room. The table shines with starched linens, elegant crystal and china, silver and candlelight. You pull out my chair and seat me and then seat yourself. Drinks, sir? James asks. Just some sparkling water, thank you, James, and he excuses himself to see to it. He has not done more than glance at me and has not said a word to me since we arrived. Theory and fantasy are one thing. One can attempt to predict one's responses, emotional and physical, but it is only an attempt. Reality is tangible rather than virtual. I find this situation disturbing, more so than I would have predicted. My body trembles, my mouth is dry. I find it challenging to manage your gaze, let alone meet it. If I did not mind feeding you, you would be closely bound now. But I do not feel like feeding you tonight, so that will have to wait until after we've eaten. I lower my eyes and try to still my shaking limbs. I know you're waiting for a response, 
and yet I cannot bring myself to speak. An eternity passes, and I whisper, Yes, Master. My face is scarlet. Look at me, you breathe. I look up and meet your gaze, and I am glad that I am seated, as were I standing, I would have fallen. Our first course arrives, an exquisite-looking salad with langoustine. I force myself to focus on the taste and texture of the food, though my appetite has fled. I know I will need my strength later. We discuss current affairs and music during the first two courses, yet my awareness keeps returning to the feeling of the silk velvet of my dress against my bare skin, the weight of the silver chain, running between my nipples and down my stomach, encircling my waist, then down through my nether piercing, between my legs and splitting my buttocks and back to my waist. I clink and jingle ever so delicately as I move. The coffee arrives and I savor it. The bitterness combined with the richness, the warmth of it as it slides down my throat, the heat of the cup in my hands. Trembling again, fear and excitement combine, producing the jingling. You smile and rise from your chair, moving around behind me. You slip a velvet blindfold over my eyes. I moan. You whisper, shh, in my ear as you help me rise. You slowly remove my dress. The chill air causes me to startle as goosebumps rise on my skin. You bring my arms behind my back, binding them behind me, just high enough to set me slightly off balance. My legs are shackled around the ankles with about a foot of slack in between. My trembling now produces clinks, clanks, and soft tinkling. Shh, you whisper again. The feel of your breath causes me to tremble more violently. I hear the door open. I'd like to display her in the library, James, you say, and I cannot believe my ears. I'll see to it, sir, James replies, and attaches a leash to my collar. I bite my lip to keep from moaning and hope that the tears that have quickly formed in my eyes do not soak the blindfold. You say nothing more as I'm led from the room. There is plush carpet beneath my feet and then icy stone and finally more carpet. The room is relatively quiet. The sound of the rustling pages and a crackling fire are the most obvious noises. The scents of wood smoke and sweat are pungent. I am led to a pony and chained into position. Facing the central bar, hands tied together above my head, legs spread wide and ankles secured to the bottom crossbar. The leather between my legs is quickly hot and slick with my body's arousal. I'm in this position for eternity. I sense a presence next to me, but before I can think anything about them, I hear a crack as the crop connects with my exposed ass. I cry out in shock as much as pain and jump as the next strike lands. Ten blows in quick succession, reddening the whole of my bottom into the creases underneath. And then the feel of a gloved hand stroking the abraded flesh. My moans are plaintive, pain and desire fighting for supremacy. Ten more strokes with the crop, the wielder's expert, lifting each cheek, catching the sweet spot each time, wrenching gasps and moans from my throat. Ten more and I begin to beg, to plead, but I've no idea with whom I am pleading and what I am begging for. I hear my voice ethereal as if from another far less tangible world. What do you want, little Krell? you ask. Stop, please, I cannot. No, don't, please, release, please, I mumble, hoping that I have given enough detail to get my needs met, whatever they may be. I am no longer sure. 
My body is burning from the roots of my hair to the tips of my fingers and toes. The pain is sharp, and the pleasure is jagged and rising. There is a leather-clad hand stroking my ass again and sliding between my cheeks. I rise to meet the hand as best I can in this bound position. The leather-clad hand strokes the bottom half of my face, fingers parting my lips. I kiss them impulsively, trying to suck them into my hungry mouth. I hear you chuckle. I feel your hands in my hair and moan. Fifteen more strikes of the crop, hard, bringing up welts until the last strike draws blood. At the last strike, I scream. I don't know that you have drawn blood until I hear someone commenting on it. My body still aflame through the pain, transmuting the pain to ecstasy. I am left alone. Tears run down my cheek. I taste the salt as they flow over my lips. I can feel the bruises rise. Then there is someone in front of me and they present the crop to my lips. I kiss the crop and then I kiss the gloved hand, my tears falling on the leather. Leave her there for fifteen minutes so the others can see if they wish, you command. Yes, sir, James replies. I am aware of at least one person's gaze. My body sizzles as his eyes traverse me, noting the colors of the emerging bruises and the crisscross pattern of the welts. I can feel the heat rising whilst his silent appraisal continues. At last, my ankles are unbound and my wrists released, and I am helped to rise slowly. I move slowly, stiffly, and with great care, as I am led, still blindfolded, from the room. James dresses me gently. The silk velvet on my welts is alternating, alternately irritating and comforting. I'm left alone in the room for a time. Hands reach round and stroke my breasts, pulling on the rings and then pinching tightly. A whimper escapes my lips. You remove my blindfold and turn me to face you, gathering me in your arms and kissing me deeply. Your hands knead the new welts and bruises on my ass. I whimper steadily as your tongue probes my mouth, leaning against you as I can no longer support my weight. My orgasm takes both of us by surprise, quick and intense, the energy rising from the base of my spine up my body and out through the top of my head. There will be punishment for that later, you whisper, though I can tell you are pleased with me from your energy and the self-satisfied expression on your face. Yes, master, I whisper, still working on catching my breath. I get into the car carefully, wincing as my abraded ass contacts the seat. Too bad we didn't request the club to provide us with a ride home. Then you could have said home, James. I laugh. I've always wanted to say that. So thanks for joining me for this inaugural um, episode of Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library podcast. Um, next week, as I said, um, I will be reading somebody else's erotica. And I'm really quite excited about it. I am not going to reveal whose it will be. Um, and um, if you want to get in touch with me in the meantime, you can email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.press. And that will get you through to me quite quickly. I'm really looking forward to taking you on this journey through 
my erotic library, and I hope you will enjoy it too. Thanks for joining me on this erotic adventure. Join me again next week for more exciting erotica. Visit my websites, drlaurybethbisbee.com and drlaurybethbisbee.press for more information about what I'm doing and what services are available. Check out my weekly internet radio show, The A to Z of Sex, on the Health and Wellness Channel, voiceamerica.com, Thursdays at 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST, and 7 p.m. DST. That is https colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly forward slash A to Z of Sex Radio. See you next week. Touch me.